Today we are at part two of our series, Unwrapping Christmas, and here's the bad news if you missed last week. One, you missed out on a super fun service. Two, you cannot catch up on last week's message because we didn't live stream our Christmas carol service. So if you missed that one, sorry for you, you missed out. Never miss a Sunday again, that's all I can say. But um, for the rest of our services, they are all online, they're on our website, so you can always get them. But we started this series because we said, let's this Christmas, let's, let's look a little deeper than the shiny lights, than the Christmas tree, than the presents and the ribbons around it, and let's, let's unwrap all of that shiny stuff, all the fluff that the world so often puts around Christmas, and let's get back to what's on the inside, what really matters. And that's what we are busy with in this series. But I wanted to ask you this morning, I've got a beautiful um, book here. This is actually part of a set. It's The Hobbit. Who knows The Hobbit? From um, Tolkien. And uh, most of us know it, and I think the movies actually made it famous. Because before that, some people knew Tolkien. After that, everyone knew Tolkien. <clears throat> but this is part of a little set with like a map and everything about Middle Earth. It's such a beautiful book. But I want to ask you something this morning. If, if you and I read the story from beginning to end... Would it have the same ending or different endings depending on who reads it? Same ending, right? It's written. It's, it's black and white. It's on paper. If you read this whole book, no matter what pages you skip, no matter how many chapters you skip, no matter what you do, at the end of the day, the story has a beginning and an end, and it's going to get to the same spot. But I remember years ago, and I'm not sure if I was in high school. I think I was in high school. There was this series of books, and I think it might have been part of Goosebumps. I can't remember exactly. But they were different to this book. You didn't have one ending. So the book would start with chapter one, and then it would end, and it would give you a choice. So say the hero gets to this crossroad in the woods, and there's like a left road to take and a right road. Then the book would tell you, if you want to take the left road, then go to page 52. If you would take the right road, go to page 32. And then you would go to that page, and you would like create your own story. And the whole time, the story would fork off into different parts. And depending on what you chose, the ending for everyone was not the same. And that is so interesting, like books, but one book, one ending, another book, a different ending. And I think often in, in church and often when we think about Christianity, we're like, this is, Christianity is like a book where I kind of make a decision, I make a choice, and no matter what I do or where I go, it always gets to the same ending. And I think a big part of that, and, and I'm going to explain a little bit of that, is because of a lot of mainline reformed churches where we talk about predestination, where there was a belief for a lot of years that God has chosen certain people, and kind of like no matter what you do, if God has chosen you, you will be saved, and if He hasn't chosen you, no matter what you do, you will not be saved. And it's kind of like there's a story, that story is written for your life, and you kind of don't have a choice where it's going. And it's like good news for the guys who's been chosen, bad news for the guys who wasn't chosen. But we read stuff in the Bible like John 3, 16 that said God loved the world. Not God loved certain people. He loved the world so much that he chose the whole world and then sent Jesus. But then it comes to this. It says, so whoever believes in him will be saved. So it's like the book is for all, but the ending isn't going to be the same. You're going to have to make a choice what, you, what road you're going to take. And what is interesting to me 
is last week when we started to, when we started talking about the series Unwrapping Christmas, we read this part where Jesus is literally telling the world why he came. He's like, do you want to know the summary of this book of the life of Jesus? Jesus is like, this is it. I came to give sight to the blind. I came to save and I came to free those in prison. I came to, to announce hope for the poor. And, and Jesus gives us whole list. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, Louis, I was on that list and you said that Jesus didn't come for the nice people like Santa. Santa's only for the nice. Jesus came for everyone, for, for naughty and nice. In fact, Jesus said specifically came for those who are broken, those who need him. Why then might I still be in a place where my life is broken? Why do I still feel like a prisoner? Why do I still feel like, um, like a blind man? Why do I still feel like a poor man? What's going on? Why is this gift that Jesus brings us of grace. Why don't I experience that in my life? And today we're going to be talking about this. And our topic today is a gift that gives you the gift of choice. I want you to work in another G. I just didn't know how to do it. I don't often do this. What, what do you call alliteration or something, right? A gift that gives you the gift of choice. That's what we're talking about today. Say that three times fast. No, you can't. A gift that gives you the gift of choice. Yeah, I, I might be. I, might, I don't know. But we're going to read a story about <clears throat> about this choice, kind of like the same book two groups of people were reading, but because of choices, they had two different, completely different outcomes. So we're going to continue reading the Christmas story. If you have your Bible with you today, please open to Matthew. Last Sunday, we read a whole bunch of stuff from the book of Luke. So there's four Gospels in the New Testament. If you open your New Testament, we get the Gospel, and Gospel comes from the Greek word evangelion. If you're Afrikaans, evangelion, it's very easy. Evangelion means good news. So it's the good news according to Matthew, the good news according to Mark, the good news according to John, the good news according to Luke. And all four of these guys give us a story, like almost like an autobiography of the life of Jesus. The same story, but it's got a little bit of different angles. Because when you and I look at that speaker and you stand on the other side, you will have a bit of a different view of the speaker than I have from this side. So that's the gospel. Same story, same Jesus. They don't contradict each other, but they, they have different views because it's different people who wrote this. So today we are reading from Matthew 2, verse 1 to 12. We're going to skip a little bit of some of the verses in the middle, but Matthew 2, um, verse 1 to um, 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came, so that, by the way, can also be translated, some of the older translations said, wise men. So these wise men were astronomers, um, they were guys who, who were philosophers from the kingdom of Persia, and they were not very, the, the Jews didn't like them, because often they mixed, like all this knowledge, of sorcery, so the Jews didn't like them, but in most of the rest of the world, they were seen as, as, as some intelligent people, as, as wise men. Okay, so they came from the east to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Okay, now he's going to continue. He's going to ask them, like, tell me, where, where, where was this king born? And then we're going to continue reading from verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi, and secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully, because people told him that the Savior, this king, would be born in Bethlehem. So he said, Go to Bethlehem, 
Search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. So guys, our Christmas trees are not up today, and they might be back up next week. But um, there was a little star on top. That's why we have a star. It um, reminds us of the star that led these men to Jesus. But if you listen carefully to this story, you will see it's one story. It's the good news of Jesus. It is the news of God that said, I, I am tired of seeing people fail and they cannot help themselves. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to not be a God that just demands people to do everything for me. But God said, I'm going to be a God that searches. I'm going to be a God who takes the initiative. So he sent Jesus to earth. And this Jesus came for everything we read about last week, to set the prisoners free, to give sight to the blind, to bring about the year of God's favor. Both of these people is part of the same story. They're reading from the same book, but they have two completely different endings. And what is interesting, when you start reading this, it, it, it already starts this way. The, the, the wise men sees a star, they, they have this revelation about a king that was born, and when they finally meet Jesus, we read the word, they were overjoyed. So they were overcome by joy. The joy was great. But when King Herod gets this news, by the way, he's had this news for years, because the Jews were always expecting a new king, the Messiah, to be born. But when it, it faces him, when he's like, in that moment, we read this heavy word. When King Herod, in verse 3, heard this, he was disturbed. He was upset. He was angry. So the story starts out already kind of like with this split in two different directions. This is their initial, if you think about a gift, when you initially get a gift, you have an emotion before you've even opened it, right? And it's not always good. When you're a child and the gift is small, what's your emotion? Well, it's such a small gift. When you're a woman, you're an adult woman, you're married and you get a small gift, you're like, yes. There's some diamond earrings in there, right? It's so interesting how that changes. Like now when you're an adult woman and you see a big gift, you're like, oh, shucks, he actually bought me a vacuum cleaner. Come on, what's wrong with my husband, right? So it's so interesting. We have a response before we've even opened the gift. And before King Herod or before the Magi have opened this gift of Jesus, before they have even discovered what it is about, there's like two completely different. The one group is like, I want to learn more. I want to meet this king. And the other group is like, I'm, I'm disturbed. I'm angry. I don't want this. And why is King Herod angry? Because, because King Herod wasn't actually a king. King Herod was more like a governor over a province of this mighty Roman empire. But he loved to pretend he's the king. And now suddenly he has to rule over these Jews that were really difficult people. They were always like fighting with the Romans. They always wanted to be free. And now there's a prophecy of a new king. So suddenly King Herod, all his pride, all the power that he's accumulated for himself, 
All the deep, darkest things that he's keeping deep inside his heart, all of that, suddenly a light shines on it because there's another king who could break down this kingdom, fake kingdom that he's built for himself. You see, he had an idol of power. He had an idol of being in control. He had an idol of people looking up at him and making him feel important, and suddenly this idol was facing off against the true king of kings, against the God of gods, against Jesus, not an idol. And I want to tell you today, this, this is maybe something you've never heard before, but when I, for the first time, heard these words, it shook my world. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus, Christmas about Jesus is both offensive and it's beautiful. If you're like, how on earth can it be offensive? Is it offensive to people that's not Christians? No, it's offensive to Christians. It's offensive to me and you. Why? Because we all have things in our hearts that are more important than God. We all have idols like inherit. And that might be your car. That might be your money. That might be your husband, your wife, or your children. That might be the addiction that you cannot get rid of. We all have things, and we call them different names. We call them addictions. We call them sin. We call them um, idols. We call Whatever you want to call them. We call them different things. But at the end of the day, all of those things are things that are in opposition to what Jesus came for. And the moment we encounter Jesus, whether you have been a Christian your whole life, the moment that the light of Jesus shines on the darkest place on your life, the, the place where that you are keeping away from God because it's so important to you, it is offensive even to a Christian that's been a Christian his whole life. Because you're like, I don't want to let go of this. I don't want to acknowledge that I'm a prisoner to this thing. I don't want to acknowledge that I'm struggling with secret sin in my life. If you're not a Christian and you meet Jesus for the first time, it's still offensive because there's still stuff that's separating you from God and it's normally stuff we hold on for dear life and the moment the light of Jesus shines on that, it's offensive to you because you're like, I don't want to let this go. I've been fighting for this. This this is why I'm rejecting Jesus. I've been fighting for this. This is why I'm doing it in secret. I don't want to let go of this. Jesus wants to set us free and Jesus wants to save us. But in order for a prisoner to be saved, to be freed, he first has to acknowledge he's a prisoner. He has to be like, okay, there's bars in front of me. If a prisoner believes that he's already free, doesn't need freedom, does he? If he thinks the jail cell is freedom, he doesn't need freedom. And that's why the, the gospel of Jesus, that's why the good news can be so offensive to us. Because it brings us to a point where we have to acknowledge, like Herod, that there's idols in our lives, that there's sin in our lives that we do not want to get rid of. The light of Jesus just illuminated that in his life, and it will illuminate it in our lives as well. But here's the amazing thing. The good news is also beautiful. Because it breaks those prison bars down. It saves us from that sin that we don't want Jesus to point out in our life. It, say, it, it brings sight to the blind. It brings healing to the broken. It is offensive to the, to the darkness inside of us, but it is beautiful to the light of God inside of us. It was offensive to King Herod. It could have been offensive to the wise men. They were not Jews. They didn't expect a Messiah. They were not Christian. They didn't believe in Jesus. They were Persian people who worshipped other gods. Now, they were not Muslim back then because Muhammad hasn't even existed before that. 
But they were worshiping all kinds of, of other gods, and they were busy with all of these magic things, and Jesus should have been offensive to them, and he probably was, because he would have brought to light all of those things that they were holding on to. But they made a choice. King Herod's choice was to hold on to the darkness in his life. The wise man had a different opinion. They had a different decision. They found Jesus. They found the beauty of Jesus. But you know what the difference is? The difference was not intelligence. They're the wise men. Do you think King Herod was dumb? No, he wasn't. You don't build a, a kingdom under an emperor like that without having some, some gray stuff. He was probably just as smart. King, the, the difference was not power. Because the wise men had power, and they were clearly rich men. So the difference was also not money. Because King Herod had power, King Herod had money. So the, the difference was not time. Yes, the wise men decided to make time to go and find Jesus. King Herod didn't make time. But at the end of the day, this is what we need if we want to say, like, either I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make the choice to stay away from Jesus because some of the goodness of God offends the darkness inside of me, or I've got the choice to say, I'm going to go to Jesus so that I can find the beauty and the healing there is in Him. The difference is not power. The difference is not time. The difference is not your ability to comprehend the gospel. The difference is choice. Because there's two things that need to happen for us to get to Jesus. The first is revelation. You see, we are not smart enough as people to figure out who God is. The Bible says it. God had to reveal himself to us. That's why Jesus came to earth. That's why we have the Bible. That's a perfect revelation of God in Jesus. And then in the Bible, we, we get pointed to the perfect revelation of Jesus. Herod had a revelation. He actually told, and you can go and read that yourself. He told the people, tell me where this king was born. And they're like, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Old Testament, the Jewish Old Testament says. This is where he will be born, and this is what he will do. He literally had a revelation of Jesus. The wise men didn't have the Old Testament, so God gave them another revelation, a star that King Herod and his guys couldn't follow and couldn't understand, but they understood it. So the first thing we need is a revelation. And if you're like Louis this morning, I don't know if I've ever had a revelation. I want to tell you, this is your first revelation, and it's good. The Bible is already there for us to tell us about the good news of Jesus. But God can give you different kinds of revelations that will help you to understand who He is at the day. The perfect revelation that can never, that never needs to be repeated again is Jesus Himself. He's the perfect revelation of God. But you see, both had a revelation, but still there was a difference. So what's the second thing we need? First, we need the revelation. God is so kind to just give it to us, to take the initiative. But the second thing we need is the eagerness to actually find Him. That's where the difference came in. How did King Herod respond? He's like, you guys go and find Him. Come and tell me once you've done it. I don't have time for this Jesus stuff. I don't have time for church stuff. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray and talk to God. I don't have time to think about Jesus over Christmas. Come on, there's a lot of stuff to do. I've got gifts to wrap. Let me know once you've discovered him. He said, often I think that is a problem when we read it from King Herod. We're like, yes, we're not that dumb. Let me tell you, most of us settle for secondhand knowledge. King Herod was like, I'm not going to meet Jesus, but if you meet him, you come back and tell me about him. So I will settle for the account of the wise men. I will settle for secondhand knowledge. We do the same thing, guys. 
How many of us have a first-hand experience with God, relationship with God, and how many of us just say, like, I will, I will, I will be fine with the revelation that God has given the pastor. I will be fine with the revelation that God has given the speaker on Facebook. I will be fine with the revelation of my devotional book that God has given to someone else. I will live off that second-hand knowledge. That's what King Herod did. We do the same thing all the time. We're okay with less than we should be. These wise men had an eagerness to find Jesus. You know how far they had to travel to get to Jerusalem from Persia? They didn't have cars. They didn't have planes. They didn't have trains. They had to come with their animals. They had to bring their food along. There was no McDonald's stop that they could just pop in on the camel, go through the drive-thru, just duck because the sign is a little low and say like, hey, can I, I want a fry and some, some, some chips and some burgers. They couldn't do that. They had to bring the food along. They had to bring the animals along. They had to bring everything along. And then they were carrying gifts for Jesus. They were eager. They got to the king because they don't know where to find Jesus because the star kind of stopped there. And the king tells them, and they're like, okay, we're going to continue to Bethlehem, but we're not going to rest until we find Jesus, until we've unwrapped the Christmas present and get to the inside. Because the paper is just a shiny thing. It's once you unwrap the gift, that's when you get really excited or you get really disappointed, right? But they were like, we, we're going to do everything we can to unwrap this present. We want to get to the best part of this. Do you have an eagerness to find Jesus? Let me tell you today that we cannot expect to find something that we don't search for. You cannot expect to find Jesus if you don't search for him. You cannot expect to, to understand that Christmas is about this amazing gift that God has given us in Jesus. If you don't search for that and you're just obsessed with the gifts or the Christmas trees or the lights, none of that is wrong. If you have fun, have fun with it. But at the end of the day, if we don't search for Jesus, don't expect to find him. If we don't spend time with him, don't expect to hear from him. The wise man persevered. They unwrapped that present. They had to want it for themselves. I want to tell you today, and if this Christmas time, if we want to get to, to what we read about last week about freedom from our prisons, if we want to get sight from our blindness, if we want to get healing in our brokenness, if we want to experience God's loving kindness in the times when we feel alone, we have to want it for ourselves. What have you done to find Jesus? Once we find him, let's go back to our book example. Once we've read through this book, once we find him, King Herod was too lazy to read through this. The wise men were like, we're going to persevere. We're going to read through the book. We're going to open the gift. But once we find Jesus, our lives will be forever changed. The direction of our lives, the purpose of our lives will be forever changed. These wise men unwrapped the presence, they finally, the, the presence of Jesus, they got to Jesus, they saw him, they went to him, and when they found him, we read the Bible says they were overjoyed. They, they took all the wrapping paper off, they saw the inside, they saw King Jesus, they saw the Son of God, and although they had no previous idea of who this Jesus would be, they couldn't help but in that moment to fall down to the ground, to fall down on their faces, to bow down and to worship God. 
Can you imagine what amazing experience that must be to go from a place where you're not sure who is God, to go from a place where you don't know if he even exists, to go from a place where you're kind of like following a bunch of different traditions because you don't know what's true and what's not. And the moment when you, when you get in front of Jesus, it's so overwhelming that you know everything you have believed is in that moment by the beauty of Christ completely overwritten. That's where they found themselves. The life course changed forever. Just before they left, we read that in a dream, God told them not to go back to Herod. You know what we call that? That's a prophetic dream. That's God speaking to them through a dream. Suddenly they were close enough to hear God's voice. They literally changed the course, the life course. Nothing would ever be the same for them. But I was reading this story and I'm like, how do we know the difference if we've actually found Jesus or whether we still just know about him? Because King Herod knew about Jesus. He read about him. It's like, bring him to me. Because secretly wanted to kill him. But he said, I'm going to worship him. But it was a lie. But what's the difference between knowing about Jesus and, and really finding him? Moving from the place where initially the gospel was offensive to you because you don't want to break with sin in your life to a place where you're living in the beauty of who Jesus Christ is. What's the difference? The difference that we can measure in our own life is they gave their best. King Herod said he's going to give his best. He said, like, if you find him, tell me because I want to go and worship him. But that was not his idea. It was just speaking. But it wasn't, it wasn't action. The wise men came with some of the most expensive gifts you can find in that time. They brought Jesus gold. It's still an amazing gift. That's why the ladies get excited when the gift is small. Imagine it was gold, but in a big box. They brought him frankincense and myrrh and all these amazing gifts. They didn't bring the little bit they had left at the end of the month. They didn't bring that last bit of hope after they've, they've lost everything. They gave their best, Jesus. And this is, this is what I want you to see through the story this morning. We didn't read the whole story, and I want you to go and read the next bit of the story at home. Okay, so go back to Matthew 2 and go and read from verse 13 onwards. Because this is how drastic it is when we do not find Jesus. This is how drastic it is when we choose to live off a second-hand knowledge and never actually encounter Jesus. King Herod, besides the sense he cannot kill Jesus, is going to kill every single boy in the, in the province that's younger than two years. He goes from a crazy king with an obsession to be worshipped by other people, with an idol of power, to a lunatic who killed a nation's boys just so that his idol will not be destroyed. And I'm not saying today if you don't find Jesus that you will become a crazy, genocidic, if that's even a word, baby serial killer. But I'm telling you that there's a difference between knowing Jesus and the life change he brings and not knowing him and being okay with that. And life change, the change that he wants to bring in your life, it'd be one choice away. That one choice to say, I'm not just okay with opening the first part. If we go back to our gift example, it's that one choice where I'm saying, I'm not just okay to see the present. I'm not just okay to unwrapping it. 
I will only be okay once I get to the deepest inside parts of this gift. I will only be okay. My choice is to not settle over this Christmas time for anything less except an encounter with Jesus. I believe if we search for that, the Bible says he will give it to us. So in this Christmas time, remember why Jesus came. But remember that you and I have a choice to either accept that or to reject it. Let's live in the beauty of Christ. Let's find him in this Christmas time. And let's not settle for less than it. We're going to pray. Jesus, thank you for Christmas time. Thank you that in this time that we can remember that life change is possible through you. But we do not have to live with our own brokenness, that we do not have to live in our own prisons, that we not have to live with all these false idols that we build in our lives. Thank you that there's life and beauty and meaning and purpose and freedom and forgiveness and grace to be found in you. I pray that in this Christmas time that we will not settle for anything less. But that we will fall down before your beauty. And that we will worship you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.